you just open your hands, your heart, hear the word of the Lord. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear children, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus today sense the weight of your presence among us. Your beauty, your light, your life. We open our hearts to you again and afresh this day. The living eternal word come. Come now and speak to us out of the fullness of your heart. We receive, oh God, we receive your word with gladness and joy. We receive your truth. May it be established in the inmost parts of our very being again this very day. We glory in you. We honor you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we continue our Lenten series entitled Favor Full, Living the Fullness of God's Favor, a study of the Beatitudes. And so if you have your Bible, if you would come with me again to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now last week, um, it was my 
first opportunity to speak into the Beatitudes, week five, and um, just unpacked a couple of things just to help us, again, orient around what it is that we are discovering and what it is that God is unpacking for us here, what Jesus was teaching to the crowds and what he's teaching to us here in this particular season. We saw that blessed comes from the Greek word makarios, which we do not actually have an uh, English word that does justice to uh, fully translating it. So we tried different things. There's happy, fortunate, blissful. Perhaps the best word is actually comes out of the Spanish. It's uh, bienaventurado, which um, means congratulations. You're on the right road. You're going to make it. That's that's the, the real sense here of the Beatitudes is, is it's very much connected to that sense of congratulating, actually. So, so remember, Jesus is talking to a crowd, um, not simply of religious folks, but he's talking to a crowd of people who um, are ordinary folks like you and me. And um, so he's, he's talking to folks who are, uh, well physically poor, um, who uh, many of whom I'm sure are in mourning, those who uh, actually are meek, those perhaps who are there because they're hungering and thirsting, uh, those who are engaged in all of these various, con- and he's saying to them, congratulations, when you're, when you're in that place, you are actually, you're on the right road, and in fact, you're going to make it. Blessed are you. Congratulations. Now, because of sometimes the sort of religiosity that can get attached to uh, the scriptures, and particularly scriptures like these, the, 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 the problem can become that it takes on sort of a, 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 a legalism that sort of sort of finds its way and seeps into, you know, our understanding about these things. And so we come, and, and, and much like Brenda verbalized as a place that we feel, it's like, well, God, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable here this morning. We're going to be talking about the pure in heart, and Lord, you know, you know my heart better than I know my heart, and you certainly know that my heart's not pure. And so we sort of we sort of move away, we cringe away, or like I was talking about last week, you know, we're, we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices on the altar, and, and when, when the sword of his, his, his spirit comes to, uh, the living edge, double-edged sword comes to, to cut into our soul, there's this part of us that just wants to kind of roll away and shy away from, from opening ourselves. And, and in fact, however, as, as we were exhorted again this morning through multiple folks, the opportunity is actually to open ourselves up. Instead of closing ourselves down, open yourself up to receive the sword that brings life. Because it's living word of God that actually produces life within us. So again, just to remind us, these, are, these aren't, you've messed up, so you better try harder. And just, you know, Pull up your bootstraps and get on with it. And these are not a new legalism. 
that Jesus is introducing, you know, because here he is with the Pharisees and they're legalistic. And it, it, but, but Jesus is not bringing a new legalism. These are actually what happens when we come to Jesus and listen to him in community with fellow pilgrims. Remember, as the very beginning of the picture, Jesus sits down in the mountainside in his place of authority and they come to him and experience out of that relationship with him and they come collectively and corporately. They experience and it's as we come to him, it's as we fix our eyes on him that he begins to work these things into our lives. We become poor in spirit, not by gritting our teeth and trying to become poor in spirit. We become poor in spirit by recognizing and acknowledging how dependent we are on him. We don't try to work up the morning. We simply remind ourselves of, we, we recognize the gap between where we are and where he wants us to be. And there's a, there's a natural morning that begins to happen within us. The meekness comes not by suppressing our anger, but by receiving the Prince of Peace, the good Jesus, into our hearts. He's the one who stimulates the hunger and thirst after Him. As we saw last week, under mercy, it flows. our mercy flows out of the wellspring of His mercy towards us. It's out of that. It's as we encounter Him as He is as we listen to him carefully in the context of community. That's why I love so much what's happening with all of our different Lenten groups and the opportunities that people are having to to go deeper and to, to dig in to these scriptures together. I don't know about you, but each time I'm with our group, our Mosaic group, I see things differently and deeper and broader and fuller than I experienced just on my own. I need my fellow pilgrim to walk along together in this. Now, as we noted last week, the first four Beatitudes here really focus on our utter dependence on God, and the next four Beatitudes focus sort of on the outworking of that dependence. And so they really, and Jesus, you know, uh, Jesus wasn't just sort of randomly making statements here. He had a very specific purpose, and even the layout of the Beatitudes themselves, let's, let's look at that a little more. And I don't, don't overwork this, but just kind of think through this for a moment with me to just kind of notice the, the way, even the pattern that Jesus develops here in his speaking. First he speaks about the four needs and then the, the outworking of that. So in a sense they become pairs. So the, the poor in spirit results in being merciful. When we understand our dependence on God and our need for his forgiveness, out of that flows mercy. The poor in spirit become merciful. Those who mourn and mourn over their sin and who who understand and have received that grace and that comfort from God, the mourning in in the spirit that, that recognize the gap between where we are and where we ought to be, those are the ones that God works that purity in heart in. Those who are meek are the ones who become very naturally the peacemakers. 
And those, and the hunger and thirsting is sort of the satisfaction of those first three needs. When we hunger and thirst for him, it says we'll be filled. And the reality is, is that the result even of the filling of God and more of him and as we become, is that persecution becomes a, a piece, a, a way of outworking. We're going to get to those last two, the seven and eight, over the next couple of weeks. So again, it's just another way, another lens to kind of look through. So there's an infinite number of ways as we, that's the beauty of the Word of God. I mean, the, the longer you spend with the Word of God and the deeper you go in it, the more it, it's like this vast, um, you know, place that you just keep discovering more and more and more, right? I mean, that's my experience. All right, so... This morning, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, in a sense, this is the, I mean, this is the ultimate place towards which you and I, I mean, all of us long. I mean, ultimately, I mean, we're longing, I mean, the, the deep place within us is a desire to see God, right? I mean, this is... This is the, the longing of our heart. And that's why when we sing that song, there is a day, there's just this longing that just sort of wells up within us. We long to see you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who will see so let's unpack this, and we'll start with sort of the center of things, which is the issue of the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. So interesting that this is the place where Jesus focuses the attention in this verse. Not blessed are the pure in mind, not the blessed that are the pure in behavior, Blessed are the pure in heart. The heart is obviously essential. Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your what? On your heart. Jesus, you know, I mean, clearly in his conversations and, well, let's be frank, confrontations with the Pharisees, he's relentless about this. Because their focus is all on the outside in, and Jesus is always focusing on the inside out. Again, this is one of the critical distinctions even between our faith and every other world faith because every, you know, the world religions, you know, every religion is focused on how do I make myself pleasing to God? What do I have to do? And all the different world religions come up with answers of what to do. And then along comes Christ and God's answer and says, well, let's be 
very clear here. There's nothing that you can do except for receive this gift, this grace that I'm going to give you that is going to take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. So no longer is it going to be about the kinds of gymnastics that you're going to do in order to make yourself acceptable to me through your actions, but rather it's going to be, this is is the gospel, it's going to be the transformation that's going to happen as a result of you being in relationship with me. You get this? You understand? So it's our hearts. And so the heart is the center of our being. And it includes our mind and will and emotions. It's, it's the source out of which everything else flows. If you look at Matthew 15, and we're not going to spend time there because we're going to be getting there eventually in our study of the book of Matthew, but... It's a whole conversation, again, with the Pharisees about the clean and unclean. And and he tells this, you know, he talks to them and then tells them a a, a parable. And then Peter says, explain the parable to us. Verse 16, are you still so dull? Um, Verse 17, Jesus asked them, don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart And these make a person unclean, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. These are what make a person unclean. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't make him unclean. So it's it's what's going on in the heart. Well, blessed are the pure in heart. So... So now we've got to wrestle with this issue of purity, and this is where things can get even more challenging for us. And so let's, let's well, first of all, let's look at, you know, Jesus is actually, um, you know, there, there's a there's scriptural background out of which what he's speaking is embedded in. And so extra sermon points. Can you tell me where in the scriptures talks kind of directly about this issue of blessed are the pure in heart or... Yeah, where does it talk about that? Anybody? Old Testament? Well, Psalm 24 is one of those places. talks about seeing his face in the purity. So, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior, Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, those who desire to see him. I want you to notice something here. There's a a critical thing to, to, to understand here. It's this whole sense of who does not swear, trust in an idol or swear by what is of a false god. And, and the issue there is really an issue of allegiance. And so there are a number of, there are a number of encounters that we have in the course of our, of our life with God. And 
Some, you know, we have a truth encounter where God comes with his truth and reveals deception and lies within us, and we, we experience the freedom that comes from experiencing his truth. And there's power encounters where he comes and he, he, he um, you know, he, he unveils himself. He manifests himself among us, and we experience the, the power of God in such a way in the midst of a, a place of need or brokenness or, or um, confusion or uh, just a place of, of hardship in our life, and he comes, and boom, there's a power encounter. There's, there's also the, this issue of an allegiance encounter. Uh, who are we going to serve? Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to give our hearts to? See, that's the real issue here. It does not trust. Trust is a, it, that's a, that's a heart issue. And so the one who's seeking after God, the one who's that pure in heart, is the one who's not trusting in an idol or swearing by a false god, but has given its allegiance to the king. So, you know, there's an allegiance encounter that happens for us in the time of conversion when we come to Christ for the first time and, you know, we recognize it's just not going real well. I'm not, you know, my, my life left to myself and my own devices yeah, this is not working out so good. And so I, I pledge my allegiance. I, I step from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it seems to me that throughout our lives, there's continued opportunities for those allegiance encounters. There's those times where we are tempted to trust again. Maybe in those things we trusted in before we came to him. The world gives us so many opportunities, but the allegiance. So it's this, it's this issue of the heart. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. So here's what I want us to kind of really grab hold of, because... We need to recognize that purity is not merely an external conformity to a set of rules. It is where the inward disposition corresponds with the outward confession. So there's a, there's a, a, a coherence between the inside and outside. In Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. You can come to church every Sunday and do the stuff. You can do all kinds of whatever, you know, and, and sometimes those of us that are in this kind of setting feel like, well, you know, whatever, at least I'm not in one of those, you know, ritualistic churches where, you know, they kneel and stand, you know, whatever. Well, Let's be honest, we have our own rituals, right? Okay? So you can come here and you can jump and dance and do whatever. And, and, and you know, if, if there's no heart change, it, it's just the same thing as kneeling and standing and doing what, you know, it's, no, it's God's, you know, God's looking for something. He's looking, he's, he's after this. He's after your heart. He wants to mess with your heart. He's not overly interested in your rituals. He's really interested in relationship with you. 
because he's just passionately in love with you and longs to be, as much as we long to be with him, he longs to be with us. Does this make sense? Is this, you know, so this is critical to understanding this issue of purity because we, we think of purity so often in the context of, of rules and rituals and regulations and all of those things when, when really the heart of purity is relationship. All right? So, so you're struggling with purity? Well, okay, join the human, you know, welcome. You're human. So the issue is, are you turning to him? Are you saying, Jesus, you know, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Sing it with me. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one. Oh, God. How I need you. Come on, sing it again. We need you. We need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. Our one defense. Our righteousness, oh God, how we need you. You're starting to get it one more time. We need you, oh, we need you. God, how we need you. So what do we need? We need him to work this purity in us from the inside out. So what does this mean? What does purity mean? Well, there's really four, well, there's probably more than that, but I'm going to talk about very quickly four aspects of purity, four kind of different facets to look at in the diamond of purity. The first is clean, and we've got to go to Hebrews to, to kind of grab hold of this. In fact, I read this for us last week in the context of the, mess, of the uh, worship time. Lord had just, yeah, brought it up, and then it came up again in my study this week, so it's kind of a confirmation, kind of the Lord speaking even in advance to us. But 
When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption in the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. How much more than will the blood of Christ? Hebrews 9, 11 to 15. How much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? I want you to hear this. The cleansing, this purity comes from the blood of Christ. It's cleansing. It's not our good behavior. You're not going to be good enough. But the blood of Christ is there to cleanse your conscience, to cleanse. And again, if mind is a part of our heart, he's cleansing our hearts through the blood of His precious blood poured out for us. Cleansing, another aspect or another way of of, um, translating or paraphrasing or kind of unpacking this word purity, actually it's the word winnowed. Winnowed is another of those pictures. Of purity. And actually, you know, we've already looked at this passage, so we don't have to go in depth, but just to remind us, and again, uh, this is John the Baptist speaking in Matthew 3 I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So again, the, he takes us to the threshing floor, which is a, it's, it's a barren place, on a, usually on a rise, where the wind can come, and he takes the winnowing fork, and he beats the grain, and the chaff falls off from the seed, from the weed, and then the chaff is thrown up into the air, the wind blows it off, and the seed is collected, and the chaff is burned up. That's what he's doing in our lives. And we've looked at this before, and I will remind you again, we are winnowed by the fire of the Holy Spirit who will destroy what cannot be purified and will purify what cannot be destroyed. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The work of purity is the work of destroying in us that which cannot be purified. Why? Because... That which cannot be purified is destructive to us. It's not because he's ticked off at you. It's because he actually loves you and wants you to be free. To walk in fullness. 
and he purifies what can't be destroyed. So there's things in us, even our strengths. You know, there's shadow sides which he, he works on and he continues to purify us, to cleanse us, to winnow us. And another word is unalloyed. Unalloyed. Now that's a, a word that we don't think about very often or we don't really maybe even fully understand. So there's a great scripture to unpack that for us and it's the scripture found in Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, listen to this, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's going to be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap, and he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purify the Levites and refine them like silver and gold. And then the Lord will have men and women who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So you know the picture. We've, we've unpacked that picture before, but let me remind you of it again. It's the one, that the worker of gold and silver who takes and puts the gold into the pot and turns up the fire, and the fire heats up. And as the fire heats up, the, the alloys, the, 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 the impurities begin to come to the surface, and the purifier will stand over the pot looking into it, and when the impurities come up, he'll have like a, some sort of a ladle or a scoop that comes, and he'll take off, and he'll take off the impurities. And he continues to do that, and the fire continues to get hotter, and the impurities continue to come up. And eventually, he knows that the purification has fully taken place when he can look into the pot and see his reflection there. That's how he knows that the impurities have all been removed, when he can see his reflection. So it is with us. The Lord turns up the heat in our life so that the impurities surface and are removed until ultimately he can see the reflection of his face in our lives. Purity, finally. One of the sort of central themes about purity, one of the, one of the ways that you can um, transliterate purity, the pure of heart is the undivided. When we are undivided of heart. Give me an undivided heart. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Now, Paul talks about heart division. I mean, Romans chapter 7, you know this scripture well, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Don't forget the last verse. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So there's this inner conflict going on within us, but thanks be to God. The deliverance comes not 
through trying harder, but it comes through surrendering deeper. In the famous words of some of the old saints and contemporary, you know, surrender your way to victory. Surrender your way to victory. The Lord alone can give us an undivided heart by freeing us from our folds and making us whole. The word there, the divided, actually is the same picture as, as a fold. Somebody have a scarf? You got a scarf? Who's got a scarf? Some kind of... You got a scarf there? All right. There we go. So, so there's these folds that happen in our heart. And, and, and the, the more folds there are, the more opaque things become, right? You see? So there's the folds in our hearts. And those folds become veils, and we, we see less and less and less. And what his heart is is to undo the folds, to remove the folds in our hearts. Um. It's just as I was reflecting on the message in my heart this morning in preparation for sharing it with you, I was just reminded again, think of, think of Ephesians 5. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain. That's the cleansing without any wrinkle, no folds, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's what he wants to present, a holy and blameless bride. All right. So we've got the heart and we've got the purity. What's the result? Blessed are the pure in heart for what? What does the rest of the Beatitudes say? For they will see God. Well, I believe that there's two ways of that actually unfolding in our lives. I believe that that can be an ongoing, growing, present reality. A present reality. 2 Corinthians 3, one of my favorite scriptures, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, but when anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is, his, who is the Spirit. So I believe in the present, the veil is lifted, we see Him, and we're transformed. And there's this ongoing process, we begin to look more and more like Him. For we see him, and he sees us. And there's this beautiful transformation that begins to unfold in our lives. I have the privilege of walking alongside of folks in all kinds of seasons of life 
And I've walked with a lot of people who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I've been a lot, I've been, had the, had the great honor of being with a large number of people over 30 years of ministry who've gone to be with the Lord. And, and you know, there's something that happens in that, you know, it's a, it's a thin place. <laughs> Heaven and earth become really close. There's something just beautiful to, to watch when somebody is in that transition, somebody who knows the Lord. It's an awful thing to watch when someone doesn't. But when somebody knows the Lord and, and their heart, there's this transformation, there's this beauty that it just begins to more and more. You know, and... And I believe that it would not do violation to Scripture to say that, that I believe it's the Lord's desire. I mean, we don't have to wait till our deathbed. But when we get there, it's just, there'll be just another step in the journey, right? You know? A dear friend of mine who recently passed away when he was given basically just months to live, I just shared with him and I said... And to my friend, I just said, you know, you have lived a life of just ongoing, intentional surrender. And he just was, hand, I mean, it was just amazing to watch him as he walked through this because it was just, for him, it was just another step of surrender. It wasn't like this leap that he had to take. It was just another step because he'd been surrendering all along. And there's the future. And I read this earlier, but let's remind ourselves again. Dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all of us who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Isn't that interesting? Because we have the hope, we purify ourselves. It's the hope of seeing him that even creates with us a deeper longing for purity and to be purified and to, and to surrender more deeply here and now because of then and there. So it's both and. There is a day when we will see him face to face and our transformation will be complete. And we will see him in the end. And then we will be like him. And then all hurt and pain will cease. And we will be with him forever. And in his glory we will live. Oh, yeah. And we will meet him. And we will meet him in the air. And then we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, oh yeah. And then all hurt and pain will cease, and we'll be with him forever, and in his glory we will live, oh yeah, amen.
sing amen. Amen, sing amen. Amen. Jesus, we are absolutely captivated again today by your beauty and by your goodness and by your great, incredible, passionate, ardent love for us. There are no words within us to even begin to express the depth of our gratitude and thanks for your grace for your goodness. Lord, we do want to see you. So we pray that you will continue to lift off the veils over our hearts and lives. And Jesus, help us to just walk in that place of surrender into the fullness of who you are. Thank you, God. 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 Oh. I just feel... I don't know, my own heart right now, I don't, it just feels so tender. Maybe you're feeling that tenderness of heart today. Maybe you're in that place of just wanting to take another step of surrender today. Maybe it's the first step of surrender. Maybe you've never received Christ into your life as your Savior and Lord. Today, today is the day of salvation. Today, come to Him and let Him, let Him give you a new heart today. Maybe you've been struggling and wrestling and just today you just sense a call to another step of surrender. Can we stand together? And I'm just going to open up the altar. We're going to sing one song and then I'm going to give a benediction. I know it's right at time here so I understand that uh, Marilyn just handed me something just just right in line with this what areas are still in allegiance to falsehood or to lies that keep you bound what lies are you aligning with that cause you to have a divided heart do you want to be free Psalm 86, hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. If you just want to, thank you, Marilyn, that's just perfect. We just, if you want to just take that next step of allegiance today. Don't swear by what is false. Don't, don't lift up your soul to an idol. Today, come, the altar's open, come right now. Come right now. Don't wait. Just come right now. Come right now. Come on. Here we go. Come. Jesus, we need you. 
thank you for the word today, Lord. Thank you that you search our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, that there's not one person in this room in who you are disappointed in. What you have is overwhelming love. Lord, help us to live out this word. Help us to walk this out. Help us, Lord, like our sister said, to keep our eyes on Jesus. You are what makes it all possible. Lord, give us a moment where we, we really get the fullness of your love. And even if we're not feeling your presence today, Lord, that doesn't matter. You are with us. You are real. You are true. You are faithful. You never change. And Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room that they would have an encounter with the powerful, unending, faithful love of God. Thank you that you are pure. You are our standard, Lord. Free us from the shame and the lies and the things that hold us down, Lord. Pray for freedom. I pray for release. God, we need you. We desperately need you. And we ask that you would come in each of our lives in the way that we need you to come. Bless this beautiful body that so delights your heart. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And now with open hands, I pray that you'd be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and yours as you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather either in this home or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy, that his goodness and grace will chase you down every day of your life. In Jesus' name, I bless you, people of God. Amen.